Revelation chapter 2, verses 18 through 29, as we uh, continue our series on revealing Jesus, the revelation of Jesus, of uh, his words to the seven churches, the revelation he, got to, he gave to John about himself and his purposes and his desires for our life. And we see that most clearly in the letters to the seven churches, in the letters to the seven churches, uh, Jesus is actually speaking to seven church, several, seven actual churches. And uh, the idea for us is to sort of locate ourselves and say, okay, as he speaks to these churches, where am I at? Uh, the church at Ephesus was a church that was laboring hard, doing some great, great things, and yet they had lost their first love. And so we have to make sure we ask ourselves, as we come to church, as we do things for Jesus, are we doing them out of love for him? Uh, the church at uh, Smyrna, uh, it's a great church. They were faithful in persecution. They were hanging in there. Um, and it's interesting, Smyrna comes from the word myrrh. And um, the word means, it's a word that uh, is for a, a, a perfume-like thing, an embalming thing, where it gave off a beautiful scent when it was crushed. And this was a persecuted church that gave off a beautiful fragrance, a beautiful testimony. Sometimes in our really hard times is where we can really shine for Jesus a lot. Then last week, uh, we looked at the church at Pergamum. And uh, it was a church that was being tempted to compromise. And we don't want to be a compromising church. We want to stay true to Jesus. So tonight, the church at Thyatira. Church at Thyatira. That's kind of just a fun church to say. Everybody say Thyatira. Thyatira. Y'all didn't look like it was as funny for y'all to say it as it was for me. So anyway, let's look at it and see what it says. Verse 18, as I said, we want to kind of locate ourselves here and see what the Lord is saying to us in the middle of this. To the church, to the angel of the church in Thyatira, right, these are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like the burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love, your faith, your service, and your perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering and will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches the hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now, I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my Father. I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So anybody here having trouble with your memory? Raise your, anybody having memory problems? I'm glad that I'm not having any memory problems. That's not affected me yet. Um, was I preaching on again? <laughs> so anyway, we do. And you tend to forget things and especially you start looking for words, right? You're trying to find a word. You can't get the right word. I came across several people who were having a hard time with words. Uh, one guy said that his uh, girlfriend's mom was having trouble with the word peacock. And she ended up calling it a disco chicken. It's <laughs> kind of a cool word for a peacock, right? Uh, somebody else couldn't remember groomsmen, the groomsmen for the wedding. Called them dudes maids. 
<laughs> which I think we should change it to dudes' mates, actually. I think that'd be a, an interesting change. Uh, somebody couldn't come up with the word exterminator, so they used ant exorcist instead of exterminator, which is kind of a, a descriptive way of doing it. Uh, somebody else couldn't remember the word for cow, and so she just couldn't remember, so she Googled moo beast. <laughs> and so all of those, you go to the cow sale on Tuesdays, y'all might try the moo beast thing at the cow sale, and I, I know that's going to work real well for you guys on that deal. Uh, one lady said her husband was on pain meds after having surgery, and he, he asked for a cylindrical water storage device. Wanted a cup. <laughs> Somehow or another, it just couldn't quite get there. Well, while we might have trouble coming up with words and forget words that we want or forget people's names, we do not want to forget truth. We do not want to forget what it means to follow Christ in sincerity and genuineness. And that's what the uh, message to the church at Thyatira is all about. It's a church that really has some good things going for it. We're going to look at that tonight. It's a really good thing. But there were some influences, watch this, dealing in lies that were threatening to get this church way off track. And it's interesting, if you get off track just a little bit, if you stay off track, you're way off track at the end, right? If you just get off track a little bit, it doesn't hurt you that much the first 10 or 15 yards, but after about 50 miles, you're way, way, way off base. And so there were some, some lies creeping into the church, some mistruths, some things that were getting them away from Christ. And so Jesus is saying to those who are faithfully following him, some of them doing really, really good. And he's saying, you know, way to go. He's, you know, hang in there, keep doing that. And he said, but now you got to watch. There's an evil influence trying to corrupt the church, trying to corrupt the truth, trying to corrupt the teaching. And so they were in danger of grieving the Holy Spirit. You see, this is more than about just believing the right thing. We're in a love relationship with God, and we want to please God and not grieve the Holy Spirit. So the church at Thyatira, we're going to see an encouragement and a warning uh, to this church. Uh, they were growing, but there was a temptation to be gullible. Uh, you know what gullible means, right? To swallow something without examining it, to take on something as truth when you haven't really looked at it really hard. And so as a church, they were growing. There were some good things happening, but they were also in danger of being really kind of gullible. Now, Thyatira was a, was a well-to-do city. It was a fairly wealthy city. Um, it was a small city. They weren't tied, you know, we've talked a lot, a lot of these churches had real strong ties to emperor worship and pagan, uh, uh, you know, Zeus, the big altar to Zeus, pagan religions and things like that. Uh, Thyatira, not so much. The biggest thing they had was a fortune teller. Uh, you remember the uh, psycho-psychic lines they used to have in our country? I wonder if any of those saw those things going out of business or not. But uh, it's kind of that kind of thing. There was a, and it was overseen by a lady. There was a lady fortune teller, a lady seer, had a lot of influence in the city. And so we're going to see how that happens uh, to affect this church probably. Now, Thyatira, the smallest church that Jesus writes a letter to, the smallest of all seven churches, and it's the longest letter. And what I want you to see about that, one of the things I think we need to remember how this applies to us is this. There can be awful wickedness in small places. This hit me when I first started pastoring. Uh, the church I grew up in, uh, we ran probably five, six, seven hundred people in Sunday school on a Sunday morning, uh, which is kind of a fairly large church, comparatively speaking, in the South. And the first several churches I pastored, I run 40, 50 people in Sunday school, up to maybe 60 or 70. And, and when I went uh, to those small churches, it seemed like, 
was so cool, <laughs> you know, this small country church, and, and people loved each other, and they got along so well, and, and it's just, you know, they like to eat together and hang out and in the country and all this kind of stuff, but it didn't take me a real long time to realize that that was kind of a facade. Uh, there were people that really loved each other, and there was some kind people and, and all that kind of thing, but I found out pretty quickly that there were some horrific things that happen in small places. Small, rural, out-of-the-way places are not exempt uh, from things like sexual abuse, from things like abortion, things like addictions, and homosexuality, and anger, and teen pregnancy, and theft, and just absolute meanness. And you and I would probably be shocked if we knew 50% of the absolute wickedness that goes on within five miles of where we're sitting at right here tonight. And some of that wickedness ends up in breaking people's hearts. And sometimes there are children coming out of these situations that are extremely uh, wounded in their spirits. And sometimes there's, there's spouses that are extremely wounded in their spirits and extremely lonely. A lot of times there's a lot of pain and a lot of hurt. And guess what? Some of those walk into this church. We never know, you and I never know the extent of the pain and loneliness and hurt that walks in here on any Sunday morning or any Wednesday night. I don't know the extent of it. You don't know the extent of it, but they walk in here and what do they need to see when they walk into Hopewell Baptist Church? People full of Jesus' love and grace and truth. They need to meet people who care, people who will accept them, people who say they belong. It was really, really encouraging to me recently when someone um, had their cousin come visit to Hopewell with them. And they said to me and to some other folks here, they said, my cousin was blown away by the friendliness and love that they sense here at Hopewell Baptist Church. And I'm like, well, tell them to move here and they can go to church with us, right? Yeah, yeah, you, you just don't know the, the difficulty and the heartache and all that stuff that walks into the ch a children's classroom or youth group or a Sunday school class or a worship service and they need to encounter the love and grace of Christ. Where are they going to encounter that at? In you and I. That's why it's important when we come to church that we're filled with the Holy Spirit and we're aware and listening for a nudge from the Holy Spirit you never know how much a, a hug or an encouraging word or just noticing somebody we're glad you're here where it means so much to us that you would take your time to come and worship with us sometimes a kind word will go an awful long ways to somebody who's got a heart that's broken because of some kind of family or, 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 or worse kind of situation that they're that they're going through now look if you will but it says, look at what it says in Ephesians 2.18. He's going to talk about uh, what's happening here. In verse 18, it says, To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. When it says that his eyes are like blazing fire, it means that Jesus looks into the depths of our hearts. It means that Jesus sees what nobody else can see. And when you look at that, sometimes I, I tend to think of the sins, and he does. He sees those secret sins, those sins that nobody else can see, those sins that we think we've got hidden away. But you know what else Jesus sees? Jesus sees the heart that's hurting because of what somebody said to him. Jesus sees the doubts that people have because of the things that they've gone through. Maybe they suffered at the hands of someone that loves them. He sees the, the heart that 
wonders if it's really worth it. And Jesus sees the difficulties of the excuse making, the pretense, the questions. He sees all of that. Tonight, if there's anybody that knows what's really happening with you and understands it, Maybe you don't feel like your parents understand. Maybe you don't feel like your spouse understands. Maybe you don't feel like nobody in church understands. And I hope you don't feel that way. I hope you feel like people really do love you and really are trying to understand. But I promise you this, Jesus really understands exactly what you're walking through. He's walked this earth himself. He's the one with all knowledge, and he wants to see you. And so what he wants is for you to be real with him. What he wants is not excuses, it's not pretenses, it's not acting like everything's fine. When you have your quiet time and you read your Bible and you pray, you don't have to pray things you think God wants you to say. You don't have to try to impress God with your prayer. You can tell God everything that's on your heart. You can tell God you're lonely. You can tell God you're happy. Uh, I heard one lady said that... Um, she tries to have such a close relationship with Jesus. Anytime she hears a good joke, she always tells him. <laughs> she said, he always knows the punchline, but I still like to tell jokes to Jesus, you know. You can tell him all kinds of stuff. Just open up your heart. He sees the very depths of your heart. Now, look at verse 19. He starts off here uh, in an encouraging way. Verse 19, New Living Translation. I know all the things you do. I've seen your love, your faith, your service, and your patient endurance, and I can see... Your constant improvement in all these things. There's much to like about this church. New, the New King James says that you're doing more than you did at the first. I like what New Living Translation says. Your, your constant improvement in all these things. And what things? Love and faith and service and endurance. That is a great encouragement from Jesus. You're constantly improving. Let me ask you something. As a church, as an individual, are we trying and seeking to improve in our love for God and for each other? Are we seeking to constantly improve in our service to God and to each other? Are we constantly improving in our faith? Are we seeking to do that? I, I love the song where it says, the longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. That's the idea of I, I'm growing in love, I'm improving in love, and, and here's what I want you to get. That doesn't necessarily mean you have to add stuff on to what you're already doing. And that's why I love the translation, the living translation about constant improvement. Uh, New King James says that you're doing more than you did at first. Sounds like you got to add more stuff. Well, I mean, think about it, guys. There's only so much stuff you can add, right? You can only so many church responsibilities you can take on. Um, at one point in my life, I was trying to add five minutes to my quiet time each year. Well, I had to stop that at some point, you know. I've been at this 40 years now. And uh, so, you know, that, that's a, that takes a while. I'm not talking about adding stuff on. Can you improve in your love while you're having your normal conversations each day? Can you improve in your, while you're at the store uh, talking to people? Can you improve while you're at the doctor in your service for Jesus? Can you improve when you're just hanging out with your friends? Can you learn to improve your witness for Jesus? When you're at Sunday school and church, can, you, can we improve in the way that we welcome people, accept people, in the way that we grow in bearing each other's burdens? It's easy to get to Sunday school and just kind of, get to a routine of, here's our lesson, let's try to get through the lesson so we get to church on time, instead of 
really connecting with God and really connecting with each other. Um, guys that went to, to UIC this weekend, I would encourage you, ask yourself, how can you improve in your quiet time with God? Well, well how, maybe it's uh, five minutes before school in the morning. Maybe it's, uh, it's inviting one of your friends to youth group this week. But is there a way that, that you can improve your relationship with God? It's one thing to go to a conference, something else to really improve. Not that you have to get to this point before God accepts you, because God accepts you, because God loves you unconditionally. What? I want to love him more. So I want to encourage each one of us, man, look to seek to improve. I mean, if you're a, a basketball player, if you're an electrician, uh, if you're a husband, a wife, a parent, you should always want to be constantly improving. Because what? No relationship just sits still. No relationship is just stagnant. Relationships either improve or they deteriorate. And so that's why, you know, I want to be a better husband than I was when we first got married. I want to be a better dad than I was when my kids were first born. We want not to, as I said, not in a situation of you got to get up here before God loves you. No, out of the acceptance of God, because God accepts you, to say, Lord, I want to get closer and closer to you. I read about a Swedish mountain climber and his gravestone said he died while climbing. Now, I hope that doesn't mean he had an accident on the mountain. <laughs> but I think what that, what the idea of that was, he never gave it up. He was constantly trying to improve as a mountain climber. And I would love for it to be said of you and I and as of our church and our families, they died while growing. <laughs> they died while growing in service. They died while growing in love. They died while growing in faith. They died while growing in endurance, not giving up. And so these guys, there were some people in this church that were doing really, really well. And Jesus commends them for that. But there were some people in the church uh, that needed some corrections to be made. There were some people in the church that were being led astray. And some people were busy in works, but they weren't bound to the word. And while we can be busy, we need to be bound to the word. Look at what he says in verses 20 and 21, the New International Version. Nevertheless, I have this against you. And when Jesus says, I have something against you, you really need to pay attention, right? You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. The church's downfall or the, um, the, the thing that was leading them astray, the correction they needed was, it was a lady named Jezebel. Now, that's probably not her real name. Uh, Jezebel was a word in Israel's history for, uh, well, she was a queen in Israel's history, married to Ahab, one of the most wicked queens that ever graced Israel's history. Uh, she killed God's prophets. She had her own prophets. Uh, she really did her best to lead Israel away from the living God. And so when, when uh, Jesus calls this lady Jezebel, he's saying, this is a lady that's trying to lead people away from me, lead them into immorality and idolatry, which was, the, which was the sins of Jezebel. And so he's saying, that's probably a proverbial word. It was a proverbial word for wickedness at this time. And so I don't think he's calling her by her name, but she is deluding and twisting God's word and leading people away from Jesus. Now notice, it says that she was calling herself a prophetess. God didn't call her a prophetess. The church didn't call her a prophetess. She called herself. 
And see, when somebody's called to ministry, there's two sides to a call. One side is there's that internal call that the person feels themselves, but the church also has a responsibility to recognize that call. That's why we have something called licensing people to the gospel ministry and ordaining people to the gospel ministry. What is that? It is a church recognizing the call to ministry. It's not just an, just because somebody stands up and says, God calls me to do this, doesn't mean God's calling them. She calls herself. And that is where the issue really got into a, into, into a problem. And I can just imagine, we're going to talk about the particular temptation, but I can just imagine as, this, as she starts leading people astray, she's giving them probably the same excuses that, that we have. Everybody's doing this. I mean, after all, you got to make a living. You might have to cheat a little bit and do a little bit. You got to make a living. God doesn't expect you to be poor. Jesus didn't want you to suffer. I want you to be happy, you know. And I think there's a segment here we're going to see that if we compromise and we back off the truth a little bit, we can get some important people in our church. Um, and that's what this lady's going on. See, there was a fortune-telling thing. As I said, there was a lady in charge of that fortune-telling deal in Thyatira. And some believe, and it makes sense that this might be who it is, some believe that probably it was that lady had made some kind of profession of faith, some kind of, uh, of commitment to the church, something like that. And so now she has kind of Christianized her fortune telling, Christianized her, her immorality, Christianized her business, and she's kind of coming into the church with it. And so here's the thing. The church has an opportunity to get somebody imported in. Get somebody with influence in. Get somebody with money in. And, and it's very seducing thing when a church starts currying favor with politicians and they try to curry favor uh, with people with money and people with talent and the church starts to compromise a little bit to get important people in that church, be very careful of that. We are bound to the word, not to the influence of other people, even if they're very influential. When you start diluting the word and twisting the word to get favor with somebody else because of what they can do for the church, you're on a very, very slippery slope, and that is not going to go well. That's what Jesus, I think, is warning about here. I read it interesting this very week. I read about a lady uh, named Anu. Anu was a fortune teller, actually a seer in Nepal. And her son got sick, you know, did the, the fortune telling kind of thing. Her son got sick and they did everything they knew to do in Nepal with him. Couldn't, nothing worked, nothing worked, nothing worked. Finally, somebody said, you ought to go to the Christian church. And she did. And when she brought her son to the Christian church, uh, they prayed for him. And God healed him. And she became a Christian. And what did she do? She turned her back on her occult practices. She repented of what she used to do. And she joined the church. Her husband, uh, who had some real difficulties, I mean, he tried to kill the pastor at one point. <laughs> that, from my perspective, is a real problem. <laughs> all right? He had some mental illness and things like that uh, through the church's prayer and counseling and all that kind of stuff. Uh, he ended up giving his life and heart to Christ. Here's the thing. They repented. They turned their back on that. See, the lady Jezebel, she's, she's unwilling to repent of her immorality. That was the problem. We can't trade truth for favors with the world. Look, the world needs what we have far more than what we need what they have. 
We have the treasures. We have the real riches of life in Jesus Christ himself. And here's the problem. The church tolerated her teachings. The church tolerated her teaching. It's an illustration of what happens when you start doing that. Now, here's an idea of what's probably happening. Here's an idea of kind of what may be behind all of this. Thyatira was a city well known for its trade guilds, trade unions. Uh, they had pottery. Uh, they had wool dyeing trade unions. Um, they had all kinds of different things. Wool workers, tanners, bakers, potters. And each union or each trade guild had their own temple and their own god. And so if you want to be a part, if you was a, a pottery or, or something like that, pottery maker, something like that, if you wanted business, you had to be a part of this trade guild. They had their own, they had their own God. They had their own idols. And so once a year or so, you were expected to kind of go and participate in this idol worship, participate in this feast, and it's kind of like a business trip to Vegas. It's known for immorality known for things that, 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 that Christians shouldn't be doing. And so there's pressure on these businessmen and women to give in, to compromise what? You got to make a living, right? You got to have some money. And so that's where I think this is where the compromise is coming from. We do know, we do know who the first convert from Thyatira was. It's a, it's a lady named Lydia. Lydia in Acts chapter 16, when Paul was in Philippi, there was a lady from Thyatira, a seller of purple. She probably belonged to one of the wool dyeing guilds. And when it says she was a seller of purple, that was, a, um, that was something Thyatira was known for. The purple dye was um, very hard to make. Some of it was made from plants. Some of it was made um, from like mollusk or crustaceans from the, from the ocean where they did several things for them to make the purple dye. So Lydia was probably very successful business lady, probably uh, a well-to-do business lady. And as far as we know, she's the one who started the church. You know, she probably started in her house. She goes back to Thyatira, tells people about Christ. They start gathering in her, church, in her home. This is just it's kind of what we can conjecture from what's happened in history. And so this is where it's starting at. Now, here's the thing. This prophetess is teaching something outside of Christ. And in her, well, here's the key thing. In her teaching, it leads to immorality. Any teaching that corrupts salvation and corrupts sanctification can't be tolerated. So a lot that can be tolerated. As we walk through Revelation, there's going to be a lot of things that we're going to see differently, right? What does 666 mean? What about the millennium? I was reading this last week. Uh, two guys, two of the leading uh, theologians, pastors in our country, um, agree on just about, every, I mean, they're so close together in theology, and yet they're really far apart on the millennium. Um, but you see, they both believe Jesus is coming back. They both believe in the way of salvation. They both encourage people to live a godly life. And that's the thing. When the false teaching teaches a wrong way of getting saved and it leads away from Jesus, then that's where the problem really comes in. And so that's what he's saying. He's saying you got to grow, but you're not gullible. We have to stay moral, people of integrity, people who try to walk the way of Jesus and not compromising in ways that forfeit our integrity. Let me tell you this way. I was talking to some friends of mine, and uh, in their church, they've got a couple, it's in their 50s or 60s or so, and uh, they're both single. Um, they're dating, and uh, they want to go on vacation together. And, um, and yet they're Christians. They want to follow Christ, right? And so this couple that's in their 50s or 60s ask another Christian couple that's married in their church to go on vacation with them as their chaperones. 
you say, well, man, people in the 50s and 60s need chaperones. They did it because they're followers of Jesus. And two things. One is they wanted some accountability while they were out of town. They didn't sleep together. They didn't sin. And the other thing is anytime somebody in their church said, did y'all go on vacation? They said, yes, and so-and-so went with us as our chaperones. Very upfront, very uh, out there of, yeah, we went on vacation, we'll go to the mountains, we didn't stay together, we didn't stay in the same room together, we had chaperones to make sure to give us some accountability. Now, the warning here in, in uh, Thyatira, he says that he's going to, look at verses 22 and 23. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her, and I don't know that it's just her, but follow her teachings, okay, and commit adultery with each other will suffer intensely unless they repent of her way. Notice it's not God's ways, it's her ways. I will strike her children dead. That means her followers. That doesn't mean her literal children. Probably means her followers. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. What's he saying? There's going to be consequences for the sin. There's going to be constant. If you allow this, there are people that get away from me who represent me and then represent me extremely poorly and the church is in danger of being corrupted. God's like, I'm not going to let my church get corrupted that way. And so STDs were very common in this day and time. That could have very well been what uh, the Lord's talking about here. It could be natural consequences, but he is saying this. You can choose your sin, but you can't choose your consequences. And I got an idea that these are probably people that may not even be genuinely saved, but they follow this lady into the church. Now, the church has a situation of, a, of, of, of being corrupted teaching, people being led astray, and they've got to decide, do we want her money? Do we want her influence? Do we want her favor? Do we want to have good jobs in town, or do we want to be true to Jesus? And that's what Jesus is trying to say to them. And it looks like that for the sake of God's glory and for the sake of the church, some of their lives are actually going to be cut short. Look at verse 24. Now, I say to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold to her teaching, and I would say he's probably talking to the true believers here, uh, who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what I have, uh, hold on to what you have until I come. What's he saying? You, those of you who are constantly improving in love, service, faith, endurance, you know, you hold on to me, hold on to what you have, hold on to that, and you will be rewarded far beyond anything that you can imagine. I'm not going to put any other burden on you. Just follow me. Look in verse 26 to 29. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with iron scepter and dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I received authority from my Father. I will also give that one the morning star. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It's interesting. He says to the smallest church, give you authority over the nations. What's God saying there? God is saying, if you stay faithful to me, the eternal rewards are going to so far outweigh any sacrifice you could ever make, it's going to blow your mind. My ways are infinitely better than anybody else. You may lose a job. You may lose some money. You may lose a friend. You may not be able to go to some wild parties that your friends are going to. But look, you have someone far better. When he says, I'll give you the morning star, in Revelation, Jesus is called the morning star. I think what he's saying is, I'll give you myself. You don't just have rules. You don't just have regulations. You don't just have a job. You don't just have friends. You have the God of the universe available to you for all of eternity. So let me close this way. 
Are we growing in our faith, love, service, and endurance? Are we allowing Satan's temptations to catch our eye? Because once he catches your eye, once you start letting your sinful lust lead you astray, you can end up in some really, really bad places. Paul Harvey tells, so used to tell the story of how an Eskimo kills a wolf. This is according to Paul Harvey. don't know if this is actually truth or not, but it makes a really, really good point even if it's not. He said what the Eskimos would do years ago was they would coat their knife blade with animal blood and let it freeze. And then they will lay another uh, layer of blood and another layer of blood. That blood's continuing to freeze over their knife. And then they stick that knife in the, in the ice. And so the blade is sticking up. It's coated with several, several layers of blood. And so the wolf comes by, smells the blood, and begins to lick the knife blade. And uh, boy, as his warm tongue begins to lick that knife blade, that blood begins to thaw out, and boy, it's tasty, right? And he loves the taste of that, and so he starts licking faster and faster and more furiously and more furiously. And by the time he's licked through the frozen blood and hits that knife blade, uh, he's unaware. He's just on a feeding frenzy at that point. And as he looks at, as he hits the knife blade in that cold weather, his, his senses have become dull, have kind of become numb, and he doesn't realize that he's satiating his hunger with his own blood. And he sits there, and his own desires lead to his own death. And that's what, that's a, isn't that a great picture, of, uh, or, or, or a pretty interesting picture of how Satan tries to get us? Tries to tempt us with something, and we get involved, and we get involved, and we try a little more, we try a little more, we try a little more, we realize, and then we get to the point we don't realize that we're killing ourselves. That we're killing our joy, killing our love, killing our relationships by the trap that Satan has laid for us. So would you stand, please, with heads bowed and eyes closed? With heads bowed and eyes closed, as we think tonight, the question tonight is this. Don't you want to keep growing not by adding things, but that growth that says every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. Not a sense of imposing burden. Notice that Jesus, like I'm not imposing more burdens on you. But you and I both know the more you grow in your love with somebody, the more you enjoy them. The more you learn how to serve someone the way they enjoy being served, the more you enjoy the relationship. And, the, and it gives you staying power in the relationship. And the more you start listening to lies, the worse you're going to end up in your relationships. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for the word to the people of Thyatira. And Father, tonight we pray that we would not only be growing, but we would um, be focused on your word. We'd be bound to the word. That, Lord, we would be true to what you say so that we could be true to you. That we wouldn't see the word as just external rules, but as a way of informing us of how to live in closer relationship and deeper love with you. And so, Father, tonight I pray. As we've been through this weekend, Lord, I pray that you'd bring to our mind the biggest thing you want us to take away today. I pray, Father, for those who went to UIC, help them to remember the biggest takeaway. Maybe it's a... Uh, Lord, I don't want to start pretending. Lord, help us to remember the biggest takeaway from the weekend. Lord, today as we talked about relationships this morning, we talked about your word tonight. Help us to know what's the biggest thing you want us to take away from church today. 
Help us to hang on to that and encounter you. With heads bowed and eyes closed, and we're looking around. Lisa, play softly. If you want to come kneel at the altar and just pray. You want to come lay a burden down? You want me or Laura one to pray with you? We'll be glad to do that. But would you talk to Jesus for a few minutes? Talk to him about what's happened this weekend, what's happened in your own heart and life today. And just ask him what his nudge for you tonight is.